Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experiences of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigations, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. 
This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Warden's Watch is brought to you in part by New Hampshire Wildlife Heritage Foundation, Maine Operation Game Thief, the Game Warden Museum, White Mountains Community College Conservation Law Program, and International Wildlife Crime Stoppers. Warden's Watch is brought to you in part by New Hampshire Wildlife Heritage Foundation, Maine Operation Game Thief, the Game Warden Museum, White Mountains Community College Conservation Law Program, and International Wildlife Crime Stoppers. I just went through and listened and produced this uh, podcast, and there's some updates. One thing with podcasting is I have so much content. So some of these things are years in advance of their actual producing and getting out there to you. So this is one of those podcasts that's over a year old with the Canine Conservation Association. So I want to update you on a few things that are in the podcast. And one of those is uh, I've lost my German Shepherd this uh last year, which was uh, pretty devastating for all of those that you know and have a dog. You know, every time you lose it, it's like losing a member of the family. Uh, So my German Shepherd, uh, yeah, I had to put him down. But my son got another dog, a German Shorthair Pointer. And in this podcast, you will hear me describe those German Shorthair Pointers. And I am absolutely correct. But again, I got to remember, these are my son's dogs, not mine, not my choice. But she is a pretty sweet dog, and she's starting to to grow on me for sure. The other thing that um, is pretty cool is I talk about having New Hampshire having five dogs, I believe. Now we are at six dogs. So we have a new uh, canine puppy. Canine Aspen uh, has been assigned to Tom Houghton. And, uh, yeah, so that's pretty cool. So Tom's a new canine handler, and his canine puppy is a chocolate lab, Aspen. I got an opportunity to meet her recently, and she is really cool. Uh, He is doing amazing with her, and she is learning very quickly. I can't believe how advanced she is at her age. So listening to this again, it was just a a, a really cool... I I forgot how much uh, of a good time that we had sitting down in talking to this group of three canine handlers from Texas doing very different things with their dogs and incorporating my canine experience uh, through 4-H training and just training my whole career, not professionally, but certainly been in the dog realm and really appreciate uh, what they are able to do for conservation. So I just wanted to give you an update. We we do clarify some bull stuff in this uh, podcast as well as I've had to clarify uh, in the past. So, hey, enjoy it. As usual, I did. Thank you. On this Warden's Watch, we are sitting down with the Canine Conservation Association at their annual conference, which is being held in Maine. But I figured we'd take the furthest people away from Maine to do interviews with, and they are highly involved with this association as well. We have Royce Izzel. Izzel? Ilse. Ilse, sorry. Kevin Winters. I like that kind of last name. Winters is awesome. good. Not not a good name for a guy from Texas, though. I, I, <laughs> you should be from Maine. So, And jo, Joni Owen. 
So, so we're sitting down here with three canine handlers that are participating in the Conservation Canine Association Conference. Boy, there's like three C's there. So CCC. Royce, you're the treasurer of this association, correct? Yes, sir. So, and how long have you been doing that for? Uh, since we started in 2020, uh, when we first got started up and we, I was first voted onto the board or appointed on the board or voluntold, however they want to put it. And, yeah. Uh, got involved and it's a really cool thing we got going on. So Fair, fairly new 2020. That's not that old. Yeah. No, we got started. Uh, our first, our first real board meeting was, uh, the week COVID fired off. So March 7th, uh, 2020. Wow. That's a landmark right there. And you guys have all been the same amount of time involved with the Canine Conservation Association? I just actually got started uh, last year. It was my first uh, association uh, conference that I went to. And when I got there and sat through it and kind of got brother-lawed into the position of being mm -hmm. a board member. Nice. And it uh, worked out good. So I've been on the board now for about a year approximately. Great. And Joni, you're just participating. So that's nice to have a participation here too. Yeah. So mm -hmm. they'll give you some kind of award for participation. They always yeah. do now. Yeah, they do. Uh, yeah. We get a trophy. Trophy. The dogs you guys handle all the same? No, no, no. We're all different. Um, all different disciplines for the most part, and uh, two different breeds. So most of our team at home is made up of labs, but we have two shepherds okay. that are pointier dogs. We'll give them a pass. But uh, Joni operates one of them, a shepherd, a German Shepherd. That's a single purpose HRD dog. For my listeners, HRD is? Human remains dog. Great. So looking for body parts and bits and leftovers. and yeah. Sometimes referred to as a cadaver dog. Cadaver too. car. So cadaver. Yeah. So, and we're going to get into that training because that's very unique and how you train and what you use for training and stuff like that. But So you handle a floppy-eared dog? So I have a floppy-eared dog. It's my second. My first one was narcotics, search and rescue and articles. And then uh, now I have a search and rescue articles in wildlife detection. Okay. So she's trained in red snapper, oyster, shark fin, wow. sea turtles, doves, trout, speckled trout, and missing some. Trout and speckled trout? Just speckled trout. Okay. So they was just clarifying, not brown trout or rainbows since we're in that kind of country. Right. Trout right. over six inches long. <laughs> and compared to, you don't, you don't have a lot of trout in Texas besides speckled trout, right? No, no. Uh, that's all saltwater. Uh, we have a sand trout that's saltwater, and then we have our rainbows that are stocked. Okay, so sounds good. Yeah, and Kevin, your uh, your dog's trained in. Yeah, so she's currently trained in uh, in wildlife and articles as well. Kind of similar odors to Royce. And you have a floppy eared dog too. Yes, sir. She's a black lab Bailey. She's a year and a half old right, right. now. Is this a yellow lab? Because I look at him and he's got that you know kind of that orange <laughs> tint to him. They always say dogs look like their owners. That's just my guess. His first uh, one was my first dog was named Rusty, and so we have matching beards. Perfect. <laughs> They wouldn't let me bring out the beard till after I retired him. We would have looked a lot alike. Yeah. I, I love those red labs, too. I mean, when you see them, they're just very yeah, distinct. And, he kind of had that uh, red tint. I've been hunting it since then, but now i got a black lab. So Okay. A little 45-pound female that wouldn't trade for the world, but not what I asked for. So, <laughs> so we can take that. The first dog looked like you. The second dog, not so much. Not so, so much, no. Then Kevin's dog, he's got that kind of look. Yeah. You know, it was funny because Norm Lewis here in Maine, uh, he actually used to cover this area. His his dog looked, I always say, looked a lot like him. So, and they kind of acted alike, and it was just, yeah, it was it was, it was uh, very entertaining. So, I always I always think that association too, and 
you know, the German shepherds, let's face it, they're, they're, they're the smarter dogs. So, they are. They are. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, Joni actually looks the her part, too. She looks like the most intelligent person sitting here at the table. Well, that's, I mean, I'm, yeah. I thought you were talking about her hair when she got here. The best looking and smartest. So we'll, mm-hmm. just, we'll go with that. I was gonna, my dog, smartest, too. My dog, too. <laughs> oh, man. How long have you had your shepherd for? Um, since December of 2018. Nice. Um, He's a single purpose HR, human remains detection, like we said. So do you see a difference? Like Royce's dog is, he had quite the list there compared to a single purpose. Training has to be a little bit easier because you don't have to have, you know, smelly speckled trout in the back along with a, a sea turtle and a dove. And you had, a, you had a long grocery list there and I was pretty impressed. Uh, your dog could find anything and it's good. Her, her, gro- her grocery list is long, but it's way grosser. Yeah, yeah, that's it's very the, true. So we yeah. we carry the source cooler with us, just like they do. Um, it's the stinky stuff, but um, I don't know that I would say easier. It's just different, and the okay. scopes and deployments that we do are different. Um, you know, sometimes we may be working a burial, evidentiary, um, bone, um, aged stuff. So, so all different stages of decomposition. Yes, sir. Yeah. Now that that you're right, that is a lot it's different stuff, and it's yeah. complicated. Yeah. And so, sure. like you look at it, like a narcotics dog, you know, meth today is meth tomorrow is meth the next day. Right. Whereas ours is continuously aging, and I want to mm. be able to show that uh, my dog can find di- various stages of decomp. So, and, and how soon is the first stage that you can find? Mm, I would say with blood. You're looking at what we've tested is about 40 hours, just blood. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, in Texas, and this will vary by environment, too. Mm-hmm. Um, they're just got to that decomp process has to start so that the dog can um, can locate it based on the odor. I mean, in Texas, if you've got somebody that's passed away in the woods and it's the heat of the summer, um, less than 24 hours, probably you're going to be able to. Just because of critter mm-hmm. scavenger activity and things like Heat. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. Um, same thing, like you get into like wintertime on a drowning, um, water's colder and that preserves that a little better. There's got to be odor availability for the dog. So it will be a little longer for us to go. Like we would wait a little longer just to give the dog the benefit of being able to detect. Right. No sense in putting it on that line where it might be. You mm-hmm. want to make sure that scent is there. Yeah. 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 No, that's a uh, very unique for sure. And, and, and yeah, that explains a lot. It's it's a it's a grocery list that's just a lot mm-hmm. grosser and you never think about that the stages, I mean, and, and up to how long, when when's when's the end do you think that we're no longer detecting something or is there an end? I I don't know that we've found it. Um I think you get into some of those and you give it a try. Mm. Um, I know I've had some people put out some pretty old bone that um, I've seen the changes in behavior on that my dog's never been on. And so I don't know that we've found like a, this is the magic number. My dog can't go any older than this. We haven't found that yet. So, Can you talk about the change in behavior? Because I don't think a lot of the listeners know, hey, that relationship and and I hate to say it, I worked with a lot of dog trainers through my years, and I've always found females are more sensitive to their dogs, and they can actually read animal behavior better, uh, just because, I think, just because of the way we're, we're wired. 
Because, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, you may see something. That, that, that I was trained by two female trainers as a dog trainer, and they were always better than I was. And they always noticed things that I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So, <laughs> <definitely> are. yeah. <laughs> and and I, 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 I think females are better handlers. I, I hate to say that. They're just uh, more sensitive and they read better. The, the, the smaller things, the details that we just, you know, I'm always like, do it because I said to do it. You know, that's the dog. And they're like, well, this, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, you're trying to get inside the dog's head. And that's exactly what you need to do. So those changes in behavior, I mean, they can be things in the face that you see, ear position, breathing, um, tail wag in some of these breeds that you see. And it's really dog dependent. I think I know one of the first times I was working with Royce and paying his dog and I was in front of his dog paying him at some boxes that we had. Um, I noticed that his eyebrow did this weird thing once he got into odor and I was like hey did you know your dog does this but that's also I had a different viewpoint too because I'm looking from the front right dog so and then I think also when you work with other people and stuff um, I've had somebody tell me your dog's tail is like a ballast until he gets into odor just the way it he it's the way it sets on him you know and then um, it kind of changes once he hits odor there's a lot of different things and then it's very dog dependent too mm-hmm. and then it can even change with environments also as well yeah i know that's very and you have to detect that change in your dog's behavior mm-hmm. and yeah. read that as he's into odor yeah and let him do what he's supposed to do yeah and find it mm-hmm. and does your dog when he actually locates an item does he down does he do an indicator type thing or so my dog so we call it indication train response, final train response. Um, my dog is a bark. Most of our searches are in wilderness settings, um, for the most part, wilderness settings. So that bark is really beneficial because I may not have eyesight on him, especially mm-hmm. if it's like thick woods. So you so, work him off lead? Um, sometimes it, it's dependent, dependent on the search area, dependent on the safety issues for the mm-hmm. dog. I'm, I think this is as a whole, not just the HR. Um, if we can run off lead, we will. If mm-hmm. we can't, we train on lead too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's very. Um, is it safe for the dog to work off lead? Um, do I need to have my eyes on him? Right. Um, or just having a pointier that runs a little faster and harder. If I'm running something where I need to slow him down, I'll put him on lead and slow him down like that. But my dog's a bark indication. I think I'm the only one in our agency with an active, which is like a bark, scratch, bite. Um, those are all active. Yep, see, Malin wants to go after drugs and cars before it's pretty entertaining. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> as they spit out the back seat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we we started in the very beginning with <clears throat> with ten dogs and all of them passive except for one. And we, long story short, we got into it and into we only had three weeks to get this dog ready to go for certification. And we said, well, we don't have any active aggressive dogs, and this dog was naturally aggressive, and it happened to be mine. And I said, well. I'll just be the test dummy so we don't we can't we don't pin ourselves out of this possibility in the future and he was aggressive his whole life and would just would just dig up everything anything <laughs> he came across and so you can't train anywhere on anything nice and you can't have nice things no so when Joni went active we just we just fought the scratch and she went with the bark so we could find it at a distance and nice so well that that makes great sense and Royce, are you in charge of the program in Texas? I'm not. We have a captain. Okay. Um, it runs our program that was a previous handler, and she started okay. the program with us um, with one of the original 10. 
And now she's moved up to be our supervisor and kind of takes care of us and makes sure we have just about everything we need. And, mm-hmm. um, and then those of us that are instructors on the team myself and Joni and another handler back in Texas, um, instruct and run training. So we do all our own training in house. Um, we started off at Utah post back in uh, 2012 and, uh, went through their handler program, did, did two, eight week, eight month or eight week tours out there, uh, getting our handler certifications. Uh, came home, trained a little while, or worked and trained a little while, and then went back uh, after three years to get our instructors. Nice. How so, many dogs does Texas currently have now? Uh, right now we're at seven. Seven. And it's an awful big state for seven dogs. That's true. That's true. We got three coming up that we're uh, hopefully going to be filling those spots, and we'll be back up to ten. Are you dispersed throughout Texas pretty good? or We are. We got one in Del Rio furthest east and well northeast is Texarkana and then we have one up and and with Joni up near Dallas mm-hmm. and then Kevin and I were San Antonio south so I'm down south of Corpus Christi. Do you guys ever get on planes and get deployed because uh, they got to get you on the other side of Texas or something and they put you in a helicopter or a plane or something to get you there quicker? We train for the helicopter but our helicopter's in Austin so just yeah. to come get us it's an hour or two and then to take us somewhere but uh, you know hopefully soon we're working on a plane that can can do those things a little faster so yeah that's uh, what i hear yeah i'm just thinking big state seven dogs um and they're such a resource once once the officers know what resources they are then they have a tendency to start ringing you up a lot more after the first case they make and they they, they make you make them believers that's how i call it yeah. and once you make them believers uh <laughs> the phone doesn't stop ringing no matter where you are and you know, frankly, I didn't care where they were. I wanted a dog here to do my, do this because uh, I, I haven't had any luck really quick. I know before I get to contaminate things a whole lot, I would really like a dog here. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's it's worked out well. Again, being a believer from a, a young age, it's nice to, to have canines. And New Hampshire is such a small state, and we have, I'm going to mess this up, I think we're up to five dogs right now. So you think of the size of Texas and you think of the size of New Hampshire, yeah. Almost have the same amount of dogs. Yeah, yeah, which, you know, I'm thinking you guys should have 25, 30 dogs, and that's probably still on the low end. Well, it's nice. It's a young program, and we've been real, really fortunate, and, mm-hmm. you know, in support from our department and support from our foundation and things like that. Mm. They have kept us going well, but we've been real protective of it and trying to keep it pure and trying to make it the best we can. So Yeah, and the Conservation Canine Association is huge because now you got connections nationwide, right? Oh, this has been this has been fantastic. You know, um, Jeff Milner, which you had on your podcast, yeah. and Lauren went and Working Dogs for Conservation got together and got us all together in Florida uh, back in 19. We all met up there, never seen each other. A few of the guys knew each other from going to Jeff's school, and uh, the rest of us just all met up and hit it off, of course, because it's the first time we've all been together and mm. had so much in common with other game wardens. And, right. You know, Canaan's a special breed as it is, a little loony, and so we all fit in just right. Um, it kind of took off from there, and it's been a heck good connections building and informational thing for all of us. We uh, made some connections there that are the reason why we have some of the good dogs we have today, and so it's been real, really good so far. Yeah, no, I think it's it's huge for that connection and building that those relationships, so you guys can bounce things off each other. I mean, nationwide, is there a lot of cadaver dogs, Joni? I think there are. Um... But they're not in the conservation. Yeah, I I think primarily what you see is the civilian side. Um, Uh, Even in Texas, we have a lot of civilians. Gotcha. And so 
as far as law enforcement is concerned. I know Border Patrol has some in Texas, but um, other than that, we're kind of few and far between. Even when you look at this organization, there's only a handful of us that are doing just HR. Right. Typically, it's paired with another discipline. Yeah, there's. Um, I think we're seeing a change just since I've been doing it even um, you get like the all-encompassing dog that does everything, mm-hmm. bone, bone scatter, full body recovery, evidentiary. And I think you're starting to see more of like the breakouts, people doing like what some refer to as a historical dog. They're doing like the old grave sites, things like that for highway departments, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, and then you're seeing the dogs that just do the evidentiary side and I think some people are referring to them as recovery dogs. They're doing like the large source full body um, recovery. So definitely seeing some shifting going on with that, both in the the civilian world too. So yeah, it's just interesting to see what everybody's doing with their dogs. Where where do you get your training aids? Some of them are donated. You know, a lot of cadaver handlers use placenta and those are donated. And then other times is, of course, being in law enforcement, we kind of have the luxury of working with fire departments and things like that. If there's a bad crash scene and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of decomp or unfortunately the people that do suicides or they work these unattended deaths that have been in a residence for a while and maybe some carpet is in there. So we have access to things like that. Um, There's also programs, at least in the state of Texas, because we fall under the education and research. So we have a body farm in Texas. We get to go down to expose our dogs to multiple different sources. It's a super valuable resource. These are grad students projects that we're running on. There's a lot of rules down there, but it's just real valuable to the canine and exposing them to various different um, levels of decomp, the amounts, um, large sources. So we have a couple of different programs that we can draw from to get sources and, and expose our dogs to that too. Mm. Body farm. Yeah. It's <laughs> exactly what you think. It's kind of like a snake farm. Yeah. Sounds nasty. Yeah. Pretty yeah. much is. Yeah. And studying all the decomp on a, on a not even an evidentiary basis, but, you know, I'm sure. I mean, we all do that when we go through uh, animal decomp. I mean, some of the nastiest scenes I've ever, there are just animals. Yeah. So uh, your dog won't key. It has to be human. It can't be animal decomp. Yeah. So that's part of the training. Your dog is going to perform at the level that you train at. So if you're not exposing your dog to those types of things and making sure that your dog bypasses animal bone to go to the human bone, that's... Right. on you so it's it's on the handler to do that or the training program to make sure that that's happening but yes our dogs um of course it's, we're a conservation agency anyway so right. when i'm training with these guys they can put their stuff out and i can run my dog by it so there's some benefit there too um plus not to mention just the environments that we work in there's naturally occurring dead stuff in the area mm-hmm. Um, so no one ever touches it and it will be just like a real search and we can put our cadaver source out and make sure that our dog is bypassing that. Cause, um, ultimately when we find a bone, of course now with the cell phones, you know, we can reach out to forensic anthropologists, send them a mm-hmm. picture with a scale comparison and they can say, yes, human, no, can you turn it over? Can I see this angle? But before that you would want to be able to say, this is human, this is animal so that mm-hmm. your dog Hey, this this is human. My dog says it's human. So, well, how many times in in real deployments have you had that exact thing happen? You're searching for a bone scatter, and somebody finds a bone they want you to check, and you just run the dog over it. Yeah, eh, yeah, easy enough. Yeah. Wow, 
That's cool. Kind of cool. You know, a lot of those. It's better than sending it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and that's the thing. Like when you start working a scatter, like let's say, unfortunately, someone has become deceased in a wilderness setting. Those critters that are taking the human parts, um, they've also scattered the animal parts. Mm. And so, typically, you're gonna find that stuff in amongst each other. It it has been on a few of my deployments that. Um, I have a bone that my dog's indicating on here, and then three feet away, there's another bone, but it's an animal vertebrae or whatever, um, maybe animal skull. And so it's nice to be able to tell the investigators this, 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 not this, not this, not this, you know, so. But that definitely takes up, you got to keep up with that in training. I bet. Wow. I'm, I'm like fascinated. So I don't, I don't mean to leave you out of the the conversation, Kevin, at all. Good. I feel like you're, you know, when your dog got snowball, Mr. Winter. Yeah. So. yeah exactly. Winter and snowball. That's yeah. the team. I've had a couple snowballs on the yeah. team. So. so, Texas boy named Winter. I just, uh. yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of contradictions with this guy, but yeah, they're all good. So, how long have you been handling, Kevin? Now it's just been over two years. And just recently, I actually had to give up my canine. I just promoted to headquarters. So, I won't be running a dog no more. Do you have to get rid of your dog? I mean, does that get ready to deploy to another officer or how's that work? I was going to try to take her to the office and just see if she could be, you know, a dog that hangs out with me there, but it's not going to work. So I got to give her back and she'll be redeployable when she gets issued with another handler. She's just a year and a half. So she, that's a long career ahead of her. So yeah, she'll, she'll be back on the field working. Yeah. But that's uh, got to be a little heart. Uh, you know, you, you get some connection there, I'm sure. Oh yeah. 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 You do. It's. It's tough. You know, I was with her since she was seven months, and she's a great dog. And you went through training with her? Yes, sir. Went and training. that training is pretty intense training. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's quite a bond that you built up. and uh, Definitely. Yeah. That's a, that's a tough thing to do. I mean, I, I guess you got to do it because there's a lot of life left in that dog, and the department paid a lot of money to to have that dog trained. So uh, yes, not sir. that you don't get to see. You could probably get visitation rights and stuff. Yeah, I do. I'll get visitation rights, get her on the weekends or something like that. I'm going to try to see where she goes. But <laughs> we, weekends and holidays. Oh. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, well, she, they got to do a lot of cool stuff together. You know, they, they kind of pushed our wildlife. The, we, we were primarily search and rescue and, and then narcotics detection even was most of our team starting off. The first 10 of us, nine of us were narcotics dogs and search and rescue and articles and then Mm -hmm. we had one wildlife dog attrition happened and we moved on now we have three wildlife dogs and we're taking our wildlife dog program to a whole nother level and kevin had a lot of connections coming from his prior jobs that he's worked on and then working at the in laredo as a first station then houston and he had some cases he can talk about but um, he was able to push our wildlife detection with his connections at the poes or port of entries Mm -hmm. and the houston airport and shipping centers and things like that to uh to really do the the legwork that we need to push it further. That sounds pretty impressive, Kevin. So now let's let's hear one of those stories how you push this thing further. Nah, well, you know, I've always been kind of a I've enjoyed my job as a game warden. I come from a, a law enforcement background. I was a border patrol agent as well as a PD officer before I finally got on. But my thing has always been more than non traditional stuff. You know, I've always enjoyed the duck deer dove uh, enforcement, but I started finding a little niche in in some other non-game, some non-traditional stuff, one of them being shark fin. And so I was able to get stationed in Houston. And during that time there, got to work a lot of different areas that included like the black market, seeing that mm-hmm. trade. You know, Houston has over 4 million people there. So it's very diverse. Um, and the trade there is huge. And during that time there, I really dialed in on working some 
some of the non-traditional stuff and was able to make one of the bigger cases and seizing 861 shark fins. Wow. And so with that being said, the opportunity came up to be part of this team, the canine team. You know, my mindset was, well, what if we could bring a shark fin dog on at Texas Parks and Wildlife? And so uh, when I got on the team, you know, I got with my teammates and we discussed it and, and see how we could actually make this thing work. And just over the last two years, you know, we really developed the relationships, like Roy said, working the port of entries, working with the United States Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, getting in some good partnerships with them, working as well, as well with uh, CBP, their agricultural specialists. And working at our, our international ports, you know, Texas has one of the biggest borders with Mexico. Mm. And so what's coming in and what's going out, we really don't know. And so I think Fish and Wildlife has only one dog currently in the state of Texas that's stationed in Houston. So I felt like it was one of those areas that we could target and try to see if we could take the lead on this and, yeah. and make some big things happen. And you did that shark fin case. That sounds, you know, let's face it, Houston, you don't think shark fins. No. No, and, and to be honest with you, I don't think international trade, even though you have an airport, mm-hmm. you know, you're a ways from the border com- comparatively. But uh, yeah, I just don't think shark fins, Houston might be the last thing. I think coastal, I think. And then uh, that's that's pretty impressive. So I'm so that was a food source coming in? Yeah, so so that was my prior time before being a canine handler, and that's kind of what got me started in this okay. traditional stuff. Gotcha. Uh, once I got in, obviously, a lot of people don't know, some of the biggest stuff that you'll see in the black market trade is, you know, you got gun smuggling, you got human smuggling, drug laundry, you know, or mm-hmm. well, drug smuggling, I'm sorry. And then wildlife smuggling. It's yeah. huge. It's a, it's a billion dollar industry. Like I said, that was kind of my route and how I wanted to approach it. And during this time, I started figuring out some different things with the fish and wildlife agents. You know, obviously you got the ivory, you got rhino horn, you got all that other stuff that's mm pretty significant and has a lot of value to it. But for us, we wanted to be able to still do something that was going to benefit our state resources. Absolutely. And so we went the, the the shark fin route as well as red snappers. We did that as well. Oysters, dove. And then we also did the, what else did we add on there? Sea turtle. Sea turtle shell. That was another new component that we put on our dogs. And finally got to see a little bit of it this past April, me and my, my canine partner, we I was actually following up on a Yelp review online and was able to make a shark fin case in San Antonio, which she was used after the fact to confirm shark fin. And we ended up making the first shark fin case in San Antonio. And we seized 381 shark fin plus an additional 29.2 pounds that were processed uh, for shark fin soup. Mm. And the big thing with shark fin right now, it's going anywhere between $450 to $650 a pound. Yeah. So a lot of money to be made, but just being able to have this type of resource and have an asset as a canine to assist us with this, these different type of cases, you know, mm. and helping out other agencies like our counterparts at U.S. Fish and Wildlife who wanted to utilize our shark fin dogs on some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's been a, a really good deal, and I think it's going to continue to grow. They got a great team and going in the right direction with, with the wildlife part of it. Right. And you guys have a massive coast in Texas, so I can see the other, the sea turtle stuff, the, the red snapper stuff. Uh I'm assuming in Texas, Red Snapper is limited. It is. It is. So. And there's there's a big commercial trade for it. You go to our local markets right now, and the Red Snapper is going for about 40 to $50 a fish. Jeez. And so we get a lot of individuals coming into U.S. waters from Mexico, mm-hmm. fishing our, our, our waters with long lines and taking our, our resource. Right. And then obviously later on, putting, you know, selling that resource. Yeah, so there's a, there's a high demand for it. Mm. Oyster, same thing. Currently this year, our reefs were closed, so there was no oystering, and we started seeing a large amount of oysters that were coming through our ports of entries. 
and they're bringing them across. They're not iced. They're not correctly labeled as they're required by law. And they're going into our actual restaurants on the U.S. side. And obviously, you know, eating oysters and consuming them, you get very sick. Mm-hmm. And so that was one of the ideas Royce came up with was putting oysters on the dog so that we could try to target that at the port of entries as well. Wow. Are they harvesting them in Texas, landing them in Mexico, and bringing them back? No. No, okay. Mm-hmm. Just uh, one of those things I was thinking of, because it sounded like Red Snapper, maybe that's a possibility. Yeah, they go into our, our federal area outside the nine miles that we have, mm-hmm. and they go into those federal waters, and they'll go out there and fish those Red Snapper, and then okay. make that journey, and then head on back in their launches. Great. So they're opening federal waters, Red Snapper? It's about to actually should be closing here pretty quick. Okay. So there is there is fishery season. Yes, sir. Them, there is so. commercial and recreational. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> again, it, it, I mean, a lot of the listeners haven't been in a fish hold before, and uh, to find a red snapper among that is you know, or they're tucking them away, and that whole boat smells like fish to me. Oh yeah. So I had the unlucky opportunity to sleep in a halibut boat. So in Alaska. Seward, Alaska, my buddy came in. He, he's a wild, he's a fisheries biologist for the state of Alaska, and he landed in, in Seward, and I met him there. And, oh, stay with me, sleep on the boat. And yeah, yeah, that was fun. So his nose was destroyed after being out on the water for four weeks. And, you know, between the human smell and the fish smell, yeah, I, I'm, next time someone asks me to sleep on a fishing boat, I'm going to be like, yeah, I'm all sad. I've done that once. I don't plan on doing it again. But now I think put that dog's nose into that environment to come up with, you know, a sea turtle, uh, a red snapper compared to everything else that's already in that hold. Right. And, and you brought up a good thing, and I'll let Royce kind of touch on it in regards to how the dogs were able to be discriminated against those other species on a boat. Mm. Um, and he'll kind of elaborate on that part right there and how we worked on that to get the dogs to be able to kind of zone down to that specific species. Yeah. Let's hear it, Royce. Yeah, so we... When we first started this, start, you know, let's just take uh, speckled trout, for example. It's something I've been working on. You like that speckled trout thing, I know. I, you know, it's <laughs> Pretty a big thing in our area, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Baffin Bay in Texas is like the biggest, some of the, one of the biggest trout fisheries and one of the big, uh, where we grow the biggest trout. Everybody yeah. comes in the winter to catch a 31-inch speckled trout. I would too. 31 yeah. inches, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah. I will yeah. join the rest of them. So. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Can't find a place. Anyhow, uh, bring your big waders. <laughs> So anyhow, recently we had a big freeze about year uh, year before last, winter before last. We had a big freeze that knocked out a huge a huge chunk of our fisheries, and so we dropped our uh, our limit to three fish. Uh, so three trout from five what was five trout with an oversize is now three fish with no oversize with a smaller slot. Mm. So obviously it's a it's a big deal in our area. Mm. So we decided well with a smaller limit size we're going to want to find fillets. People are going to go out. They, we have a lot of cabins out on the barrier islands, and they can't they can't bring it back in. So uh, filleted. So we said, well, they're going to be trying to hide fillets, and mm-hmm. um, then on top of that, it helps with our the speed of our inspections of each boat. But how do we get around the fact that they've been catching trout all day, and it's in their net, and it's on their fishing lines, and it's on their poles, and all that kind of stuff, right? And then they got an ice chest full of redfish and flounder and whatever else mullet and cut bait they have. Mm-hmm. And so we we kind of had a little experience from training Kevin's dog, which I'll tell you about. But we start just focusing in on training on that one species and just the meat of that species. And so we started with a tiny piece of meat, uh, training the dogs just find the meat in these little tins, and uh, we use a marker reward system to 
to get them indicating and, or locating and indicating just on, on that one species. Can you, can you explain the marker reward system just briefly? Oh, just generally, <laughs> generally, I'm, 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 I'm trying is. to think of my listeners, you know, the marker reward system. Just, you know, can, can you give a, I don't, I don't want to say dumbed down, but a, a, a simple, simple. Can I do my cell phone? You can phone a friend. Can, can I, can I do my, uh, can I do my text? Is that appropriate for a podcast? I don't know if it's appropriate. But We're going to do it anyways. <laughs> so uh, you're, you, uh, you have a phone and it has a, a text ringer, right? Every time you get a text, it goes ding, ding yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Well, um, you look at your phone and you text your girlfriend, hey, I can't wait to see you tonight. And Yeah, my wife wouldn't like that. You're working? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. I, Just make sure I get the right number, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so you put your phone in your pocket and you're off working and, and you hear in your in your pocket and you think, what do you, what'd you thought? You think, oh, she's... She's ready to see me tonight. I can't wait, right? That's what your mind tells you. Oh, she responded. This is mm-hmm. great. So you've been paid in your head by the sound, right? You already think, oh, she sent me something great. It doesn't matter what you pull up and what she said or if it wasn't even her, but you were waiting. Right. You're anticipating that sound, and that sound paid you. Mm-hmm. And so we use the same thing for a reward with a dog. So every time they find something, well, first we pair the sound. We make the sound, give them something good. Give Make the sound, give them something good, and then... We let them go do their thing. And when they, of course, a piece of trout is a natural odor. Mm-hmm. They they pay attention to it. We make the sound. We give them something good. Yeah. Are you using clickers? Using clickers okay. at first. And then we move, we transition to a marker word. Okay. So most of us are, yep, and in a different tone than your normal, yep, you know. A little high-pitched. A little high-pitched. High pitch tone. Yeah, it's probably even better than what I did, but I'm going to blow I was going to say, does now. Kevin make that noise? He doesn't seem like a high-pitched guy. Yeah, he's yeah, surprised. Yeah. He doesn't. Yeah. Really, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't think that noise was going to yeah. come out of that mouth. It, yeah. it took a while, but again, you know, you talked you could, about the, the mother instinct. Johnny was on top of me about my marker word. <laughs> yeah. it, it came after she told me, hey, yeah. you're not exciting me. And I was like, okay, yeah. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, I'm impressed. No. Cool. So continue, please. Uh, we get so, yeah. So we uh, just, that's over and over until mm-hmm. they just find that. And then we wait for the response we want, which is a sit. And so. The dogs already know how to sit, so once you wait about a little bit, they start offering behaviors. As soon as the butt starts to go down, you click and yep, and or click and yep, and then give them a toy, and then we just repeat that over and over till we get exactly the behavior we want and hold out behavior on that, and then so that's basically the marker reward system. Very quickly done and probably butchered to heck. Anyhow, so we train on that one odor until they're solid, and then we start adding in other fish odors around, and they have to go through the same process to eliminate the other odors and they don't get paid on those. And then they find the, you know, speckled trout and get their marker and get then the yep. and before long they're here we are yeah. and they're passing all these other odors. And so then we had to work around. If you're a narcotics dog handler, you want your dog to hit on any residual or uh, lingering odor of narcotics. Right. And so you want everything from the, the odor, the, su- the uh, substance was here to, the substance is here now and in mm-hmm. whatever threshold. Well, we can't do that because we need them to find a fish, one fish on a boat that's got fish slime all over it. Mm. And uh, maybe an ice chest that had fish in it yesterday or this morning, but doesn't have fish in it now. And so this is, this is still a, a work in progress, but we've seen a lot of success in it that we can, we just start off not paying for the residual odor and then only paying at source. And so, as we've taken that into real life environments, we're able to pay it only when they're at source and it's seems to be paying out pretty well. So we can get on a boat. I can, 
while we're while me and the game warden partner is checking a boat and checking licenses, I can deploy her onto the boat and she's conducting basically the search or she's doing it, conducting a sniff. But what we would have to get on and open containers and mm-hmm. open things like game wardens do, mm-hmm. we cut down on that time because while we're doing everything else, she's on there doing the the inspection, and then we can cut the boat loose and get those folks back to fishing and enjoying. Mm. So run me through an inspection. I mean, you're on the water. You throw. You you got the dog with you in the boat. You deploy you the dog, another officer. How big are the boats generally? Uh so well, it depends. You're talking mostly if, recreational with special trout. If we're doing so recreational inshore, they're mm. anywhere from fourteen to twenty-five foot uh, shallow water running boats. Mm-hmm. And so it's me and one or two other game wardens and and my partner. And pull up, we start conducting a water safety inspection, you know, life jackets and fire extinguishers and whistles and all those kinds of things. And then we move in, if if all the things are present there to indicate they've been fishing, we'll move into a fishing inspection and look at their fishing licenses and who's been fishing and what they've caught and all those kinds of things. And so we just, you know, do a boat-to-boat side check. But the dog doesn't do the boat-to-boat side check. She goes actually on the boat, right? Yep, she's right there with us. And if I need to, to get on in detail or whatever, we're, we're able to do that uh, before, under our inspection authority. Mm-hmm. But um, a lot of times I'll let her do it off-lead as long as everything's relatively safe. She's, you know, we've worked enough So together. she gets on the boat and runs around, sniffing right. here and sniffing there. You know, so we do like a pattern training on boats. So mm-hmm. as part of our training process, we teach them where the productive odor sources are on the boat, you know, containers, ice chests, bags, trash bags, anything. And so she already has kind of a idea of, of how to search around a boat. Mm-hmm. And then I can kind of watch while I'm inspecting. And if she misses anything, I can go back and have her, hey, check this out over here, check this out over there, kind of cover everything. But it's still so much faster than us having to go through and get on oh. everything. Yeah, I would imagine so. I'm sure you haven't pulled up their lines because I always think fish hooks, you know, dogs and fish hooks would be a good, any incidents with those? For sure. If we were checking, fish, we we typically don't check people while they're actively fishing just because okay. our way our fishery is. Yeah. But let's say we're offshore and people are floating around a reef, then mm-hmm. then we would certainly have, have, have everything pulled up and out of the way. But, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I always think of, uh, you know, danger for the dog, you throw them on the boat, you know, heavy seas, things like that. But I'm sure you don't, you you pick pick your... Pick your times. Yeah, pick our so. times and location. I mean, offshore is, is offshore, but mm-hmm. inshore we can usually find areas that are that are calm or protected mm-hmm. where we can stay out of the wind. You got a good story about a speckled trout location? Well, um, or sea turtle would be even cooler. But. Yeah, I don't. We haven't got. We haven't even got to really deploy in the sea turtle realm yeah. yet. I mean, we've got the. Trying to remember, we've only been doing this since uh, she's been only certified since October of this this mm-hmm. last year. Gotcha. So we're new to that part. What's been cool is to see her get on boats, check them out, and then be able to in and say, nope, there's no trout here. Mm-hmm. She gets off, and then the guys have done a secondary check, especially when she was new, and to find, nope, no trout there. Right. Or, but there was redfish, or there was drum, or there was some other type of fish. But then when there's a ice chest full of redfish, and there's a trout in there, and she's indicated, oh, you open, pop it up, and oh, there is redfish, but there's also a trout in the bottom of it. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of neat to get that real life confirmation on our training right yeah it's really neat when she's sitting there waiting for you to open up this chest that has something in it and then you dig through it yeah comparatively you know when the warden opens up we do kind of a cursory look and we put our hand through it a couple times and stir up the bottom and see if we see anything else we don't see anything else we move on well sometimes our ice chests are you know great big old yetis yeah and they're plumb full of ice well if she can check it 
and I don't have to, you know, before her, we had to take everything out, make sure they're, you know, the, the illegal ones weren't stuck in the bottom. Right. right. And now we can pretty much. That's where it. they always are in the bottom. Well, yeah. And we yeah. just put them right we'll there. We're making them easy for, yeah. for us. Yeah. yeah. So, so now we can do that inspection and not have to necessarily do all of that. Not even mm-hmm. waste their ice and they may still have an hour left to travel. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of benefits aside from the fact of just finding, find the fillets and things like that. So, yeah. The best is the deterrent because uh, when that dog gets on there and sits in front of their cooler, I'm sure they're like, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm waiting. It hasn't happened yet, but I know it's going to happen. I'm going to, we're going to get on the boat. We're going to ask them, hey, do you have any fish? And they're going to say no, and she's going to sit. And I'm going to say, well, do you have any other fish? And they're going to decide, well, she found those, so I might yeah. as well give up the rest of them. Absolutely. So. No, very cool. Very cool. Very cool training and all lots of different types of training, too, so. The sea turtle thing fascinates me too. You, you, Kevin, you you were talking about. Do you, you think there's a problem with sea turtle shells and stuff? Or, um, so what we see is a lot is working with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife. They're seeing a lot of the leathers from the sea turtle. They're still uh, bringing them in from Mexico, producing boots. Gotcha. And so that is something big that they're still seeing uh, come across the border, and uh-huh. people are importing them in and selling them. Right. Um, I actually helped Houston out one time with a particular case where we had an individual that was shipping them in. And he was picking them up actually from a DHL facility, never getting them shipped to his home. So I worked with Fish and Wildlife and saw them follow the load home and was able to get him to give us consent, go in there. And he had like 20, 30 pairs of boots and belts with some of them being exotic skins and sea turtle, which is highly protected as well. So mm. there is there is a demand for it. It's, again, it's just one of those things is is being there and, you know, developing intel. And who's bringing what? You know, it's interdiction. You know, you gotta mm-hmm. you gotta put in the numbers to in order to get that one load. You know, whether you check right. five hundred people and you get one, it's all worth it. But you know, you gotta check a lot of people, check a lot of uh, cargo, and hopefully you get lucky. Yeah, it's a numbers game. Thought about the boot industry in Texas is big into boots, isn't? Yes, sir. So everybody's got a set of cowboy boots down there. Yeah, I mean, the first thing you do when you see someone, you look at their boots to see kind of what their their yeah. status. What is. Do they did you ever yeah. see? <laughs> do you ever see their see their boots and? Uh, yeah, you're not supposed to have them, man. Those are elephants, so give me it, your boots. It's funny you say that. I've been there with Fish and Wildlife at the port of entry, and they'll take the boots off a person that didn't declare them because they're elephant skin. Yeah. Yeah, so definitely uh, it has happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, my boots are from Texas, too, when I still, when I landed in Austin. That was that was on the bucket list to get a pair of boots from Texas. They were imported from Mexico, but they're, 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 they're bull-eyed. <laughs> okay, so, yeah. so they say. So what kind of bull? Let's talk about that. Yeah, bull elephant. Yeah, bull. yeah, there's a lot of bulls. Isn't yeah. there? <laughs> there's bulls. Uh, we won't even say that one. So, <laughs> you get a little bit of that on this podcast, so you got you got to throw that in there. Thought no, very very cool conversations with you guys. Any, any anything in uh, you know? I, I want to support your association for sure. So uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of dog lovers out there. There's a lot of conservation lovers out there. So when you combine those two. You know, the Conservation Canine Association certainly needs support from those people that love all those things. You guys have a web page and stuff that they can do no donations at, I'm assuming? Right right now, we have a Facebook. Okay. It's a Conservation Canine Officer Association Facebook, CCOA. Um, and that's that's really our main hub of information going in and out about what we have going on. Mm-hmm. That's one of our big projects for this year is our media, and hopefully it'll really take off. we got some, some new game wardens that came to the conference this year wanting to get involved. Nice. So we're excited about that. You know, we sell some coins and shirts and things like that right now, but hopefully we'll have some big things in the future. We're talking about some possibilities of fundraisers that has some big items and right. um, 
Yeah, it's 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 a good organization to support. It's got a lot of growth. You know, our our hope for the future, if if anybody didn't catch the last podcast about it, is to eventually be a certifying body for game wardens, canine handlers around the country. Yeah, and maybe even further someday. But right now, the big goal is for us to all get on the same page as our in our lingo and our mm-hmm. training and all all kind of come together where where we haven't had that in the past. Right. That, that lingo is huge because you guys didn't know what wicked means, did you, until you get to the Northeast? Yeah. <laughs> the word wicked? Yeah. Well, only from wicked tuna. Yeah, okay. Yeah. See, so you, you had a little... Uh... You say wicked, I say tuna. Yeah. <laughs> I say wicked a lot, especially in this podcast, so I've educated a lot of people about what wicked is. So <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Any, anything else, Joey? I don't think so. Oh, covered it. Well, what color is your shepherd? Is it a black and red, black and tan? Black and tan. Okay. Black and tan. So mine's a black and red. Yeah, he's, he's, he's accident prone too. So, <laughs> uh, my, mine opens doors. Uh, he learns. Uh, Sherman's shepherds just fascinate me because they actually think. I he, try to tell these guys that. I, I swear. <laughs> uh, you know, one day I'm, I'm in the bathroom and I watch the door handle start turning, and I'm the only one home, and I am like, "What the heck." as he releases it quick enough and pops the door and walks in like nothing ever happened. And he does this consistently now because that's the, that's what he's done all his whole life. So he's opened doors. So it's just, it's just kind of weird. And then I had a friend, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're outside and he's like, what's your dog doing? And I looked over, I said, oh, he's watching the kids in the background, in the, in the backyard play in there and he's watching us up front. He's a shepherd. So that's what he does. He positions himself so he can watch everything so make sure everything's good. So I just, you know, I've had shepherds since I was little. It's hard to... to break your breeds but and i've had to do that because my son has a german wire hair pointer and uh, again a, a really nice dog i love her she just doesn't think as much more instinct which is very intriguing to me too how much drive she has to hunt to find i mean she, she'll find every toad in our, our yard so but she's always constantly constantly hunting and, and every breed has its its unique abilities which is really cool. I, I, I enjoy all breeds. That's why I love 4-H and uh, being the 4-H dog project from little dogs to the big dogs. They all have their place. And uh, what is it? Las Vegas is, has uh, dual dogs now. They use like springers for detection and shepherds and rottweilers for apprehension. And, you know, they, they carry two dogs in their car. That's you know? cool. Isn't it? Yeah. We trained one of the guys in back in Utah Post. And, yeah, that was the first time I'd ever seen somebody had a patrol dog and tracking dog on one side and a narcotics dog on the other and i thought man that's the way to run yeah yeah no i I think it's 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 great i I think we're thinking outside of the box so much more as dog trainers in the last it seems like five years absolutely so it's you know we're now we're using you know some of the dogs that have been indicating their whole life pointers you know or a pointing dog you know they got an indicator built into them Mm -hmm. so and and the energy of those dogs is insane I mean, who wants a you know a German short-haired pointer around any time? Because that's they're, they're just insane dogs. That's all they want to do is hunt, and their energy never stops. Well, let's give them a job. Let's 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 let them range and find this stuff. And the military is using them to find explosives now. I mean, not really great for the dog, I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> but it's perfect. I remember the first time I ever saw a short-haired pointer was at a training facility, and they were doing narcotics, and you know for. To show that on in court, you see that dog, he hits odor, he just freezes for one, and then he just starts creeping. You're like, what better alert prior to your indication could you get? I mean, nobody can argue, yep, dog's in odor. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, for sure. And uh, we've had that for how long? And we're just really figuring it out. Yeah. So, because I think we we honed in on certain breeds. I, that, that's my thing. We, we 
we, we focused on this and this is what this dog does and this is what this dog and, and you all had your compartmentalization instead of thinking broad yeah oh and that's what i i love even this generation they're thinking differently and dealing with college kids i always to learn from them and how they're communicating tiktok very interesting i had tiktok tie from oklahoma who's a game warden just reaching kids on their level i, I just find it fascinating because that's where they are and we're not when I go in to talk about college to kids in high school, I tell them I have a TikTok account, and they go ballistic. They're on their phones instantly to, to find me. And, yeah, and I'm like- stupid stuff you've been doing on there, sir. <laughs> it is. Check it out there, man. If you don't follow me, there'll be one more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. that's it. It's just it's, it's learning the differences, because I'm sure my father's generation said the same thing about my generation that says that it's just- we are changing, and we're changing in the dog world, which I, I just find fascinating, and I'm happy about it. And there's all kinds of trainers that, that even in the, the small little world that I'm in with 4-H, there's, there's I probably know five different trainers that chain, train five different ways. Yeah, None of them are wrong. None of them are wrong. They're just a little bit different here, a little bit different there. Mm-hmm. And I take what I can from them, but having been ingrained in my you know, young life on how to train, that's the way I still train. But I, I take their stuff and I sometimes I incorporate it into my stuff and let them train. At least my son will listen to them. He doesn't listen to me. So yeah. let them go with him and, and, and do a little dog training. It's just I, I really like it, you know, because we're changing and we're changing for the better. We're detecting more. We're relying on our dogs more. We're, you know, educating officers and officers are like, hey, get your dog over here. I need to find some consult. And Kevin, I got to ask about that hat. What, what's the, it's a fish with a headdress on. It's a beta fish. It's, uh, you know, it's geared towards fly fishing out of, it's out of Texas. It's a brand out of Texas that makes these hats and uh, out there in New Braunfels. It's just a fishing hat. It's very distractive, but it, it's very, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he's got a Texas shirt on and uh, he's got a lot going on. I, I got that. I got that part. The, the, just the fish with the headdress on it. And it looks like, like a sucker, too. He's like a, like a sucky face. So it's like a kissy fish with a headdress on. So you knew this and was Whataburger? it's purple kissy fish with an orange headdress on. I'm just happy you knew this was Whataburger. The lady earlier today was serving us lunch, and she goes, is that Wonder Woman? And I said, because you wear it so tight. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin likes his shirts like you just stop so uh, He wears the gets. extra smalls. Yeah, yeah extra smalls. Uh, I don't know how he's going to fit into headquarters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's all about officer presence. You know, that's the biggest thing. They're going to have to make the doors wider for yeah, the shoulders. That's right. Yeah. That's a standard door. You'll have to go sideways. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least it's not for his head like some of the other ones. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely his shoulders, man. It's, uh, uh, no, great opportunity. I'm, I'm glad I made the trip over here to talk to, to the guys the furthest away. I, actually, is there somebody further than Texas? I mean, we've got a few states. California's not here, right? No, California's not. Wasn't able to make it. Oregon. They're, part of, they're part of the organization, but not here. Yeah. Uh, somebody from Montana? Lauren, did she from? Yeah, Lauren, Lauren's from Montana. Oh. I don't know if that counts as farther. Uh, I think you guys got it in Texas. I think you're a little, if you went straight up. South. Yeah. So probably distant-wise, so. But, but, but very cool to, to have an opportunity to talk to three Texas game wardens that have uh, very different canines, it sounds like, doing different things. And so, well, Kevin doesn't have a canine anymore, but certainly uh, got your hands in it. <laughs> Appreciate you wearing that out on Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It all week. He, he hasn't heard it enough from us. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and I'll say this, it's so cool to have canine supporters go to headquarters. So the future of canines is bright when we put 
former canine handlers in our headquarters that understand the training, the whole nine yards of it, because it's it's dedication more so than anything else. You're dedicated to your dog 24-7, whether it's your dog or the department's dog, it's, it's basically your dog. And it's a lot of dedication, a lot of extra work. And if you haven't been exposed to that, it's hard to understand all of it. When you're exposed to it, you know, I think it, that's great. But sometimes some of our programs, I think, suffer because our upper echelon hasn't been exposed to it or had a, a case that was made by a canine or heard of it. Or sometimes it takes, you know, and I think every one of our programs ebbs and ties depending on who's in charge and, and what their exposure has been. So, but canines are a good thing. They're a great public relation thing. They're a great uh, tool to be used to apprehend wildlife violators, to find cadavers, you know, to bring finality to some of the loved ones, mm-hmm. because that that's huge when you don't know what happened to your loved one. And then you finally can put those pieces back together and put them to rest. I mean, that's that's comforting for those that are living. I've seen it time and time again. So to Closure for the families. Yes, for. absolutely. I think I said that in a roundabout way, but thanks. Yeah. Thank you very much, Joni, for, uh, <laughs> for bringing that. <laughs> Sometimes I get wordy. <laughs> That's the podcaster in me, I guess. <laughs> so I'm, I'm striving for that one word that I just can't grasp. But cool. Thanks, guys, and uh, safe travels home, and thanks for sharing. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank you. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experience of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with coachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch. Please join me, Game Warden Wayne Saunders, and other Game Wardens on our adventures, protecting wildlife, saving lives, and having fun, all while serving the public and the natural resources of our planet. Listen to the tales and experience of those who work in the outdoors while being entertained with stories about encounters with poachers, wildlife investigation, murder investigation, near-death experiences, search and rescue missions, wildlife interactions from game wardens around the country and around the world. When I retired, I realized I couldn't let go of that legacy, but rather wanted to share the passion, the commitment, and the stories of those men and women that call themselves game wardens. This is Game Warden, Wayne Saunders, and this is Warden's Watch.